Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. They get the first tote out of that fabric for free as sort of a like a, a thank you for helping us connect others with that country. And then they get $10 per tote sold as well. Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, you'll learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn how and when you should ask your customers for product reviews, how to prepare your business if you want to run it remotely, and how to quickly pre-sell products through your website. Today, I'm joined by Jack and Ali DeFore from Tuluma Totes. Tuluma Totes makes socially responsible travel bags made from fabric sourced from around the globe and was started in 2012 and based out of Virginia. Welcome, Jack and Ali. Thanks, Felix. Thank you. Awesome. So Taya, tell us a little bit more about your 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 store and the, the mission behind your store. Okay. Um, well, I mean, the underlying goal of it all is to just kind of connect the world and connect cultures and connect the people around the world. Um, I think there's kind of a deep-seated belief that the world's a big, scary, dark place, and we strongly disagree. And I think uh, a lot of people that wear our backpacks also disagree. Awesome. Yeah, I mean... in. Inside Tuluma, there's we kind of do that in a number of ways. Um, the fabrics are from around the world, like you mentioned, and they're uh, bright, colorful, traditional fabrics from different countries. Um, and then we also microloan back to the countries where the fabric came from um, as like our second piece of connecting the world. Got it. Now, where did this uh, this entire idea come from for the product and the, the business model? Um, yeah, so Jack and I were um, finishing up an engineering degree in university, and um, we had an engineering project in Uganda that we went. Uh, we went to Uganda for a couple weeks, and basically just got super excited about the people and just the amazing colors and um, the fabric, and just how it all kind of was wrapped up in these beautiful, bright, kind of wacky fabrics. Um, and we wanted to find a way to bring that side of Uganda back home. So that was sort of the beginning of, of, of it all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, when you decided that this was a, 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 the cool products and cool, cool fabrics that you discover, what were the first steps that you decided to take to turn this into a business? So the first person that ever said one of our backpacks, her name was Miss Connie. She was a tailor in Uganda. And that backpack was really just a souvenir that I wanted to take home and give to my brother as a, as a gift. Um, and I ended up keeping it for myself cause I liked it so much. And, um, so we had this one kind of prototype, I guess, of like, this is cool. And, you know, my friends in school were asking me about it. And, um, so we thought, you know, there's plenty of fabric in Uganda. How can we get more of that fabric and make it into these backpacks and sell it to friends here on campus and, uh, just try to try to spread that good spirit. Um, but neither one of us knew how to sew. So, uh, I think the first step was, uh, finding someone that had some experience sewing that could help us kind of develop this prototype into something a little more durable that could actually hold up to the day and day day to day wear and tear of of college life. Got it. Now, did either of you have experience starting businesses or creating products prior to this? No, we were we were both studying engineering, and that was kind of we both studied engineering because we kind of wanted to get into this uh, international development stuff. Uh, so that's what took us to Uganda in the first place, but. Um, this kind of kind of deviated our paths. 
Got it. Now, when you were looking for initial uh, people that were to sew to put together these backpacks, what was that process like? How did you, how were you able to identify uh, individuals or companies to help help with this, and and what's involved in in a process like that? Yeah, so we were um, in Virginia, and Virginia actually has um, like an old textile industry, uh, Virginia and North Carolina. Um, just by chance, we kind of learned this as we were looking into manufacturing and actually making these backpacks um, on a bigger scale. So we just started cold calling different places to see um, if they were still in business and if this was a product they'd be interested in working on. We jumped in Jack's station wagon and just like spent our skipped Friday classes to drive around um, to these different manufacturing places, meeting different people and really none of that. I mean, we were two people, two students, um, with a very bad prototype and, um, a small idea. And most companies, it just wasn't, wasn't a good fit. But once we found the company that we're working with, um, they're, it's called Steps Incorporated and they're in Victoria, Virginia. Uh, it was just like a, it was a perfect, um, they saw our vision and they are an amazing group. Um, they have a mixed workforce of like adults with disabilities along with some really awesome top-notch seamstresses. So they also have like a really interesting, fun uh, group working there. Got it. Now, what, did you do like an initial like smaller run at first or like what was that initial order like to, to, to start creating these backpacks? Yeah, I mean, even backing up before before getting into full production, we had to figure out how to develop the design. So, uh, being on a university campus is like the best place. It's like an incubator for uh, um, for starting a business because you're just surrounded by all these people that are learning these new skills and they're so excited to use them. So, um, one of those skills, you know, Virginia Tech has a fashion department. So, we connected with a professor in the fashion department who helped us develop some of our prototypes and change some, some uh, materials and sewing techniques. Um, so, yeah, I mean, being in a college town or on a university campus is a, is a great place. It, it worked really well for us anyways, um, just being surrounded by all these people that want to help. Mm-hmm. And did you do like um, any kind of testing, or how do you how did you understand what kind of designs or 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 uh, kind of backpacks that or even fabrics that your your customers wanted? Like what was that testing or um, process like to understand what what to eat, what to create at first? Yeah, I mean, we were just walking. I mean, we were still students at the time during this during this stage, so we were filling it with our our books and our weekend camping gear um to try to figure out what what worked what didn't work and we also had friends on campus that also wore a bunch of our prototypes until the strap broke off and we had to sort of figure out how to fix that and yeah we really just designed them for ourselves i mean we were students at the time and we wanted to design this product for students so there wasn't a whole lot of guesswork there you know we we knew what we needed to fit in our backpack and what um how we would use it each day and like ali said you know we'd get a prototype together and the button would pop off and we'd fix the button problem. Then we'd uh, move on to the next prototype and the strap would fall off, but we'd fix the strap problem. So like I said, designing it for ourselves really simplified that. It, it took a lot of the guesswork out of it. Mm-hmm. And what, 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 where were you able to, to um, sell your, your backpacks at first? Like you were creating these and where were you getting your initial sales from? Yeah, so our, our first sales, um, we, 
we're bo- we're bootstrapped to Luma um, since the beginning. So we actually just did pre-sales, um, and we did it through Shopify. Shopify was, I think, our day one um, sales source or sort of a source of um, selling, and uh, everything was through Shopify. And since since day one is it's all we've been selling through so haven't looked back <laughs> nice now these pre-sales how did you have that set up was it like a software that you use like an app or something like what what was the the setup like to to create a pre-sale for these products well we were novices with shopify at the time so we weren't really familiar with any of like the the pre-order apps or anything like that we just really kind of took the bare bones shopify platform and explained in the order note that you know you're going to place your order today, and then once we receive your order, then we'll, then we'll use your <laughs> we'll we'll take that time to um, make the exact style that you ordered, uh, and then we'll get it to you in I don't know two weeks, three weeks, whatever the timeline mm-hmm. was. And did you find that people were receptive to that? Like, how were you able to communicate? You know, in the world today, where you order something, you want it right away. How were you able yeah. to to convince people to trust trust you with their 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 money uh, without getting a product right away and a product that was still essentially being created? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we started small, really, and not only small, but within our network, you know, so I think we got a lot of initial support from family and friends and friends of family and, um, you know, people within our college town who were kind of already familiar with what we were doing. Um, so I think we had kind of established a little level of trust either from the, the direct relationship, like I said, like friends or family, or just from um, having a little understanding of what it was we were doing. You know, we were really active in our town. Uh, and like the entrepreneur community there trying to learn as much as we could. So um, I think a lot of those first orders, I mean, we're talking like 30 or 40 orders, yeah, you know, this yeah. this wasn't like a huge uh, mm-hmm. New York City release party or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was just enough to get that first inventory of 30, 30 units going. We sold them, we put the profits right back into then making 50 or so, you know, just increasing it very incrementally. Got it. And was it just for, for one design, one fabric, or did you have a multiple uh, products ready to go during that pre-sale? Um, I think we had three countries to start off. Uh, we wanted to sort of show that once after our trip to Uganda, we as we dug into this more, we kind of realized how it wasn't just Uganda that had these bright, colorful fabrics that really represented the people. So we also found fabric from Indonesia, which is another huge fabric hub. Um, and our third country, what was it, Jack? Man, the first three, I forget. <laughs> Kenya? Kenya. Yeah. So we had two in Africa and one, um, one in Asia to show a little bit of, this was more than just one country. We wanted to make this global. Mm-hmm. And when you were launching with these three, did you feel like that was too many? Did you feel like maybe you could have launched with with more early on? You know, because there's this idea of of you know putting out a lot of products so that there are a lot of options for for your customers, but then also maybe it could make things a little more difficult because now you have to support three different products rather than you know, maybe just one. So what, what 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 was your experience? What did you feel like after that that initial launch with uh, with those three products? I think initially we were just kind of constrained by other matters. You know, we were, uh, th- this was a side project for us. We both had other full time things going on. So we were just constrained to really only be able to keep our arms around three different types. Um, but now today we have, you know, a lot more countries uh, kind of within reach and stuff like that. So I think that's a, that's a question we continue to ask ourselves today. You know, how many is too many? Um, you know, we worry a little bit about having too much variety, then you cause the analysis paralysis, right? Like just 
so many options. I just can't decide. Therefore, I'm just not going to get one. <laughs> mm. um, so I, I don't think we have an answer. Um, we just keep trying different things and just learning along the way. And I, uh, it's kind of an intuition thing at this point. Got it. Now, when you do think about releasing a new product, what's that? Talk to us about the, the production or the, the development process. Do you pick the fabrics first? Do you pick the design first? Like what's the, the process for you guys when you want to start working on releasing a new product? Yeah, so I mean, every, we only sell backpacks and every single one is the same design. The only difference is the outer fabric, um, which is from a different from different countries. I mean, we right now we're doing a lot some fabric sourcing ourselves, and that in the beginning it was just the two of us finding fabrics around the world, and now that has expanded to uh, we've opened it up to anyone that's traveling that wants to sort of help us uh, source fabric. So any traveler can go out there and find fabric to send to us, and we'll uh, put their line of backpacks on on our website as well. Um, Kind of, it's just fun to open it up and kind of crowdsource these fabrics. You know, uh, that was our that was our favorite part about our jobs. Um, you know, it wasn't like doing the accounting or stuff uh, <laughs> behind the scenes that was fun. It was going out and shopping for fabrics, and that took us off the beaten path of these um, kind of tourist trails that we would usually uh, travel on. Um, so that's what we're trying to extend to other people now, and have other people shop for these fabrics and go off the beaten path as well. Mm. Now, after that initial 30 products that you sold from that launch, like, how were you able to start building from there? Because it sounds like, you know, friends and family were that first batch. How did you work towards eventually selling to people that, to strangers, essentially, people that you never met before? How did they, how are they able to eventually find out about your products and your, 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 your business? Yeah. So, I mean, since day one, that we've, we've realized that these fabrics are really, they're bright, they're colorful and usually they catch attention. So um, since early on, word of mouth has been the main thing that we uh, focus on and word of mouth has helped us grow since day one. Um, So we've been, I mean, organic growth is kind of the path that we, that we're interested in taking and word of mouth is a perfect way to do that. So, I mean, one person sees the tote and asks them about you know, where is that fabric from or what is that? Or maybe they recognize the fabric from having visited that country as well. Um, and it's just sort of grown that way ever since. Mm-hmm. So other than having the, a colorful and, and very visible product, what, what have you found uh, helpful to, to help encourage this, this word of mouth? Um, I mean, in person, I think just creating a product that people love to wear and, you know, backpacks are something you can wear them every day. You know, a t-shirt, you have to, you don't wear the same t-shirt every day, but a backpack, if, you know, if it's, it can be like an extension of your body almost. So, um, so yeah, just creating something that people really love to have with them, I think has helped in person. Um, but then from like the online side, uh, I think one of the best things that we added to our website was the review functionality. Um, so that, you know, if we're going to create this product that people do love so much, we want them to be able to tell other people who are checking, checking out the website as well. Um, so that those reviews really seem to help build trust in, in potential customers, uh, being able to hear about the, the experience that previous customers have had. And do you have a process for, for getting people to review a product that they've purchased? Is there some automation there? Yep. Yeah. We, well, you use it, Ali. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like the Shopify add-on. I think it's a, uh, just an add-on app that, they, that 
a few weeks, maybe two weeks after the person uh, receives the backpack, we it sends them an email asking what they think and sort of to help us tell, we ask them to help us tell future people what to expect out of, um, out of a tote. Got it. So I, I like that, 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 um, the way that you framed it is not just about, can you please write us a review? You're talking about h- helping or asking them to, to pay for, to pay, uh, to help explain the product to, to, and the value to other people moving forward. Now, have you, and have you tested any like time frames? You mentioned two weeks after, is it after they received the product or two weeks after you shipped it? Like what's the, in your experience, what's the best timing to, to ask for, for a review? We haven't done a whole lot of tests. I think we kind of just went with our intuition on the first the first one, and we've been just really pleased with our response rate since. So it, it was kind of the, if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of mentality. Um, I think the, you know, we have, go ahead. Our mindset was kind of, we wanted to give enough time to receive the backpack and then enough time to wear it, like, whether just like th- throughout the day or a weekend trip or something. Um so to give them a little bit of time to actually not just open the backpack and tell someone what it looks like, but actually hopefully some experience with it on their back. Mm-hmm. Now, I think you mentioned about crowdsourcing the fabrics. Um, so it, obviously you are heavily involved with the community. You want the feedback. You want them to, to work with you. And I'd imagine that you must get a lot of requests and maybe even your own desires to expand beyond this design or expand beyond backpacks and maybe go into other way, other, you know, I guess, uh, luggage and, or other ways to use the fabric. How do you manage those kind of temptations or those kind of requests that come in from, from your customers? To me, I, it just doesn't, um, it just doesn't excite me I, is really the short answer. I think, um, we kind of want to try to blaze our own path and kind of innovate some new ways to develop a business like this, as opposed to just kind of following the path that most retail or, or e-commerce product uh, stores take. Yeah, we like, and we just don't really feel that the world needs more things as much as it needs more community. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why we, you know, after after making the backpacks ourselves for a few years, we we decided to get other people involved in in sourcing the fabric with us, um, and that felt like a much more satisfying and fulfilling and uh, noble purpose than just saying now we're also selling purses or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I like that you are able to essentially ask the the your customers, your your community, to tell you what you what they want because you're asking them to go out and source these these fabrics, and they're going to obviously pick ones that that they like, and and probably others like them will like as well. Now, how, how what is this process like? Can you talk to us about what you've done to to create this uh, kind of uh, community of of people that are giving you direction? Because I think that's something that's really important for entrepreneurs where they are kind of going blind a lot of times, right? They don't know exactly where their market or where their customers are going, where, where they, 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 what kind of products they want, but you have been able to tap into your community and, and such ask them to tell you exactly what kind of fabrics they want for their products. So, so talk to us about how you were able to build a community like this. Yeah, it's it's funny because a lot of a lot of these people who sign up to travel and search for fabric, they ask, uh, you know, like, so when do I need to send you a picture of the fabric for you to approve? And we, we always say, like, that's not what it's about. We want you, you know, we want you to find a fabric that represents your experience in that country. So we don't need to approve it. It's whatever clicks for you. 
And we were nervous about that at first, of course, you know, like, what are people going to come up with? And some of the first, some of the first ones we got were like hot pink and, uh, or, you know, looked like grandma's wallpaper, a few of those. Um, so we had a few just really God awful designs and we were like, what, you know, what do we do about this? Is this going to tarnish our brand or what? And we, we decided to just go forward with it. Let's just put them up. I mean, it's in line with what we said, you know, if, if that represents their trip to them, then so be it. That's great. So yeah. we put them up, and they sold faster than any of the backpack or any of the fabrics that we got ourselves. So it was just kind of a, a humbling experience of like we we don't have the best taste apparently, you know, or, or mm-hmm. we don't have the only taste anyways. Um, so it's nice to have other people kind of come in at least for just like a batch of totes and um, express um, their. A different type of traveling and a yeah. different country, a different experience, and just different, um, different tastes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right now, it looks like there's about maybe thirty totes that are, are on your your site at the moment. Uh, how do you guys curate this this collection? I think you mentioned earlier that there is probably some kind of upper limit on having too many designs where people might come along. There's just too many choices that they like, and they just don't want to have buyer's remorse to purchase just once so they don't buy anything at all now what how do you what's your approach today to understand like which kind of products you should keep on your side and which ones eventually you should take off um so i mean we've we've been pretty lucky that we've we've never had a fabric that just didn't sell and we had to take off um i mean the nature of the traditional fabrics is that they're all limited edition and these places will make a fabric and then the design changes the next month so Basically, everything except for a handful of countries that we know, this, like the person that is making the fabric, so they can continue designs. Um, but for the most part, everything is limited edition, so some sell faster than others. But we've we've just never had a design that literally didn't sell. Um, yeah, so we we keep we keep the designs on the website until they sell out, and once it sells out, we move to the next person in line. We we put people's fabrics up. First come, first serve, mm. um, and it's pretty mechanical, to be honest. I see. So there, there's usually only one production run for each of these uh, these fabrics. That's right. Most the majority of them. Ali mentioned there are a few exceptions to that because we have really good long term relationships with a few fabric uh, producers, but um, that's more the exception. You're, yeah, you're right. The most are just um, you know someone traveled to Bangkok and brought back twenty meters of fabric from Thailand and send it to us and we made 20 backpacks from it. We sell them, they sell out, and then we move on to the next person who, who brought us fabric from Burkina Faso or whatever it may be. Yeah, the way that you described it when you said it's pretty mechanical, it, it, the way you describe it as well, step-by-step, step, sounds pretty straightforward. When Before you mentioned it, it almost sounds to me at least a, a supply chain headache, right? Where there's so many different people to source from, how who, who's who you're working with for, for, for what products. So they these these your customers are actually purchasing the fabric and then sending them to you. Like, what, what is it? Talk to us a little bit about how, how that's all set up where your customers are getting you essentially the raw ingredients of, of the, of a product that you're creating. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we have a, a minimum, we, we need at least 15 meters to create a, a line for a line of totes for the website. So these travelers will go out, um, and these they sort of sign up on their own on our website uh, if they if they're traveling, and uh, they have to buy at least fifteen meters of one design, and they 
usually sort of bring it back in their check luggage back to the U.S. and then ship it to our team in Virginia uh, domestically. And um, we then, they get the first tote out of that fabric um, for free as sort of a, like a, a thank you for helping us connect others with that country. And then they get $10 per tote sold as well um, of their fabric. So that's sort of the back end, how it works. Um, and it's great because, I mean, we get, we, we get to tell tons of stories of these, of other travelers, uh, whether it's the actual fabric sourcing is a story or an interesting story from their travels that we uh, then can tell through their line of backpacks. Very cool. So, are there any kind of uh, how do you you know other than be able to see the pro- see the the fabric itself? How do you make sure that it's like of quality that that it, it meets uh, this essentially the standards for for use as a as a tote? Yeah. So, I mean, we we have prior to having other travelers buy fabric, we did a ton of, or we still do a ton of travel ourselves. So, we've been working with a huge variety of thicknesses and of types of fabric. Um, and we created the design of a backpack that can be used for any, like a huge variety of fabrics. Um, so that was sort of our first couple of years. We were really trying to focus on the design of the backpack and adding the durability and the different elements to make sure that a big variety of fabrics would work on this design. We pretty much reinforce everything for the worst case scenario. So we we just are the design of our backpack kind of just assumes that the outer fabric is um, the thinnest, least lowest quality fabric that we've ever seen before. Um, so we just reinforce it like crazy. That way, no matter what type of fabric someone sends us, it'll it'll hold up well. Got it. Now you've obviously have some kind of you have systems in place, and you have essentially almost like a template for creating these backpacks. Was this something that you had to learn how to create over time? Because it, it sounds so seamless, right? Someone goes out and gets the fabric for you, sends it to you, and then you have this entire process for melting that fabric into the design of the tote itself. Talk to us about the technology, I guess, behind how you're able to do this. Yeah, I mean, all the credit for that we have to give to our our contract manufacturer, which steps, um, they are just absolutely incredible. They're so talented. And, um, that's something that we wouldn't be able to do if we had overseas manufacturing. Um, maybe we would save a few dollars on labor costs or something, but, uh, we wouldn't have this type of, uh, small batch runs and custom, customized, uh, customizability. Is that a word? Um, So, so yeah, we're really grateful for their, their know-how. And, um, I mean, it was funny, I said, Ali and I had an engineering background. So our first year or so working with steps, we would go visit them and try to, you know, kind of tweak these designs and, um, patterns and everything. And we were so, you know, we were so used to measuring things to such, um, small tolerances, you know, with our engineering training. And it was just funny working in a, in a, sewing facility where they were like, you know, an inch is like your thumb and a yard is like the length of your arm. Just kind of, you know, just <laughs> have a different way of doing things. Um, but we, we learned from them really. So um, I, I'd say that's the one area where we've really outsourced part of the business. They, they just completely handle all the production Everything. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, you guys, oh, I definitely got to talk about this before before uh, we move on. You guys are definitely on an uh, episode of, of Shark Tank. So talk to us about yeah. that experience. How were you able to, at what stage were you in your business before you decided to, to go with this opportunity? 
Yeah, that's funny too. We, I mean, we just threw in an application for Shark Tank one night when we were watching the show, thinking it was going to, I think the email address, what was it? Like Shark Tank at yahoo.com or something was no where we sent our application. So we're like, okay. <laughs> our two sentence application, I think too. We, you know, that was going down a black hole, you know, just sent it in as a joke and whatever, moved on. We, we were in Thailand at the time though, about a year later, maybe. Yeah. And because of the time difference, we got a phone call in the middle of the night from a casting director or something at Shark Tank. Um, so yeah, it kind of caught us by surprise. It was by no means something that we had built into our business plan or anything like that. Um, but it's an opportunity you just can't pass up. So um, so we went for it. Yeah. And how did you uh, prepare for for you know pitching essentially to in front of uh, millions of people watching, and then of course uh, the 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 sharks. How did it's we? almost impossible to prepare. Yeah, I don't think we did like prepare. Um, <laughs> I mean, tons of, we have a few mentors from Virginia Tech, like the university where we all got it all started, and we sort of got help practicing with different mentors and professors from school. Um, but, I mean, since early on we decided we wanted to do this, uh, we, wanted to do, we wanted to bootstrap Tuluma and sort of do it on our own. So... It was a very, I mean, then pitching to these investors was a, a totally different game plan, but we just decided to shift our mindset and see what would happen if we, if we did pitch this kind of weird, wacky idea to them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I think at the end of the, the show, you, you didn't leave with an investment, but of course, uh, tons of uh, publicity from being on the show. Talk to us about the, the results of being on, on Shark Tank and having your episode air. Yeah, I mean, we were bummed that we didn't get any investor on board, but uh, we probably got something better. And that was, you know, thousands of uh, investors in the form of you know, people who watched Shark Tank and then decided to kind of invest in us in the form of buying a backpack afterwards. Um, so I, I think, you know. It just sort of built our community. Just we had a huge bump in our community and um, and most of them have stayed on ever since. I feel like we have. I mean, our organic growth has continued since the airing on Shark Tank. Since the big bump after Shark Tank, we've sort of continued organically with these uh, investors or sort of other people that that wanted to be a part of the Tuluma community. Mm-hmm. Did you have to do any preparation uh, before the episode aired in terms of upping production numbers or monitoring the site in any way? Like, how how were you able to make sure you're able to take on the the load of of uh, being on uh, national television? We we wish we had that luxury, but <laughs> we had such a, a short heads up. I think it was 13 days, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Wow. We. Uh, I, I won't go into the details, but we were under the impression that we were not going to be aired, so we had kind of um, moved past it and um, not counted on being being on national television. So uh, we then got an email out of the blue later than we expected saying it's airing in 13 days, get ready. And we just scrambled. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, our, our back order was several months. We ended up having to basically pre-sell, pre-sell totes because we just hadn't, we didn't have, I mean, we were selling 10, you know, 50, making maybe like 50 or a hundred a week. And, uh, there was no way 13 days, we could do anything in 13 days to really prepare for it. So, uh, it ended up being more of a pre-sale kind of thing. And luckily, I mean, we kept people in the loop along the way. Um, I mean, to, 
to the extent of like our, our Guatemala, the people that weave the fabric in Guatemala, we had to get in touch with them and say, we need, instead of a hundred yards, we need like 5,000 yards of fabric. So, I mean, they were also like hiring tens of, you know, tens of, Ten to twenty more people on their weaving team to weave more fabric and, and borrowing looms from neighboring villages. <laughs> <laughs> so it was several months of of backorder and kind of chaos. But I mean, we kept people in the loop along the way, and I think that was that was what made it work. And I think mm-hmm. people came on board initially. I think a lot of people wanted to support us because they saw that we weren't being supported by the sharks. Mm. Um, so I think people kind of came into it, a lot of them anyways, with the mentality of, I want to help support this cause and see it grow. So I'm climbing on board as opposed to, I, I, I don't think most people bought it thinking this is an Amazon purchase that'll show up at my door in two days. Right. Now, the pricing on your site ranges anywhere between, uh, it looks like $65 up to $85 for a custom tote. Uh, talk to us about the pricing. How, how are you able to figure out how to price your products? Well, we, I mean, that was also just kind of guesswork at the beginning because, like, you know, like we mentioned, we didn't have any business experience. We didn't know what margins were, um, but we just put together our costs, added them up, and kept them at as low of a price as possible. We, we initially thought we were going to have to go through retail outlets. And once we learned about how the whole retail markups and margins work, that's what, that's what then um, steered us towards Shopify. We wanted to make these products accessible to as many people as possible. And we were students at the time. And we, that's kind of who we had in mind as our customers were other students. And we, just, we couldn't sell these backpacks for $120. So um, Shopify kind of gave us the tools we needed to just sell direct to the customer skip those extra markups and keep the prices affordable to as many people as possible. Because if we want to build a community, you know, it's better, the more the merrier. We want to get as many people on board as we can. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I, I like a lot about your, your product pages is that you don't just have photos of the product, but you have photos of the product in the wild from people that are, have purchased it, that are wearing it. How did you, how did you get those photos? In, how, how were you able to get those photos from your, your customers? Um, and early on, we just... I mean, since day one, Jack mentioned that we were students designing backpacks and we were designing the backpacks sort of as students for people like us. Um, we then spent have spent all of our time traveling and we were taking these pictures of us using the backpacks in different countries. Uh, and that then sparked other people to take these pictures. Um, so, I mean, we're, we are our customers and sort of that's what's helped us grow the community of, of people taking pictures and also people finding fabric and everything. We don't use social media too much, to be honest. We don't have a real big social media presence, but um, that has been the one use for social media that we've found most effective is exchanging photos. Um, so a lot of you know people might use our like a hashtag, carry a country, that we can then find the photo on Instagram or something like that. Um, so I think, yeah, the mechanics of it oftentimes come through through social media. Yeah, I think it's so important to to take advantage of those photos that your customers are posting because you can only see so much from these product photos. You know, they're great photos of products uh, with you know white backgrounds and everything that, that you have on your site. But I think the real uh, the photos I like the most are the ones of your of the actual customers using it because you can see things like what does it actually look like when someone's out and out uh, traveling with your products. What does it look like in different lighting? What does it look like on on a person? And and it takes a lot of the kind of 
bias away, right? Because it's not you guys that are posting or creating these photos. It's from your from your customers that are, are posting these photos. So I think it's it certainly um, uh, helps build a lot of trust and convince a, a customer to to to, to try out your product because of these photos. Definitely, yeah. and and we learn so much from them too by seeing how they're using our product. We get to. Learn from, learn from them and see what we can improve on that side too. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned that uh, you guys started with Shopify from the very beginning. Did you also design the the store uh, yourselves? Like how 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 was this uh, your store that, uh, essentially uh, built or designed? I remember spending just a few days in a coffee shop nonstop, <laughs> like you know. 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. or something like that, playing around. Uh, again, no experience with any type of web design or anything like that, but um, just used one of the free Shopify templates starting off. And it was, uh, looking back on it, it was, you know, I, I didn't do it justice, but uh, we used that free one that, with my first attempt. It was fine to get us started, and we improved it a little bit. And I think we've had maybe six or seven iterations since then, and they keep getting better, and we keep using better templates and um yeah, so I mean, it's come together now. I mean, those templates are fantastic. That we use, yeah, um, one of them from out of this, the out of the sandbox guys. The out of the sandbox themes have just been so easy to use, and also, I mean, they they they're really helpful with their support team. So, um, with a few like web design novices like ourselves, we've been able to build a website that we're super proud of. Mm-hmm. Now, have there been any changes, or, or you mentioned there are a bunch of iterations? Like, what, what are some recent changes that you decided to make to to the site to help improve either the message that you're putting out there or improve conversion rates? I, I already mentioned it, but the reviews are the first thing that come to mind to me. I think that was the most powerful change that we put on our website. That wasn't a super recent one, but um, I remember when we did add that, it just really changed things for us. More recently, I think it's just kind of been. Um, some kind of me- mechanical tweaks to make the new uh, the new program of having other people find fabric with us make that more clear. Uh, so more recently, it's been design tweaks, but the reviews thing is the biggest uh, the biggest change we've ever made. Yeah, you definitely do have a ton of reviews on the products that I looked through. Do you use these reviews outside of the site? Do you use them to? Do you uh, put them on display anywhere else? We use them just, I mean, for our own knowledge is what's also so useful is if, if there's a consistent problem that we need to be aware of, we, it's great that we have this system asking people for the feedback. You know, if there's a problem, we need to know about it so that we don't keep sending that problem out. Um, so, I mean, there's a whole lot of internal use in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously you can't get 100% positive reviews for everything. So when you do get a uh, some feedback that helps you improve the product, and this feedback is essentially public, how do you uh, address this? I mean, we want people to wear their backpacks, right? Like that, you know, that's they are our marketing machine. So we fix it right away. I mean, if if there's a, a problem that needs to be fixed, we'll we'll pay for the shipping both ways and repair it immediately. Get it back to them, and um, like I said, we at the end of the day, we want them to have a backpack that they're excited about, that works well, and catches other people's attention. Mm-hmm. And do you need to address this, like as a reply or something, to a to a to a review? How are you able to to make sure that that your community knows that you've addressed this particular problem? Yeah, the I mean the uh, product review add-on that we use through Shopify. Um, has a really good system of replying right away. We get an email right away every time someone does review. Um, we have them posted live, like we the review posts live. So 
I mean, there's maybe a few hours until we can reply sometimes, mm -hmm. sometimes it's right away. Um, but yeah, we res we respond. It's a very easy through this add on. It does all the we then we just can re respond to this traveler right away. Got it. Is that, is that response? And that post on the website. Okay. So it's public. That's great. Now, yeah. Now, you, it sounds like you guys have a great system, right? You have a system, you have a, a, a great, um, uh, you have folks that are putting together products for you, you have people helping you source the, the product, you have word of mouth running, a machine running for you guys because the product is such a visible product and people love posting photos of it. What do you find that you want to see you spend your most time on now on a day-to-day -day basis? Thinking ahead, honestly, and that's that's the thing that's hardest for us with our engineering brains. We kind of want to make things or see things improve or uh, cross something off the to-do list, at least for me. But um, what we've found we need to be doing the most is like thinking and having these big ideas. And most of those big ideas, you know, inherently fail, but um, that's kind of what needs to keep happening. You know, like our, our big jump was getting other travelers involved in finding the fabric. And we're kind of working on that next thing right now. Awesome. Now, and what kind of uh, apps or, or, or vendors do you rely on to help you run the business? And I know you mentioned the product reviews, you mentioned the, the, the out of sandbox uh, theme that you have, and of course, uh, the, the, the people that are putting together products for you. Are there any other apps or vendors that you depend on to help run this business? ShipStation is a big one for me. We really pride ourselves on quick shipping, and ShipStation allows us to do that without a whole lot of uh, man hours poured, poured into it. Mm -hmm. What else is it? I'm trying to think. Mailchimp as well for, um, yeah. I mean, another one of our, a big way of telling these stories of different travelers is we have a weekly or sort of bi-weekly uh, blog where we describe the story that of behind each fabric. Um, so we'd send out our weekly blogs through Mailchimp. Yeah, mm -hmm. those are kind of our core things. ShipStation, Mailchimp, Shopify. Reviews and out of the sandbox. Yeah, I like that. You you, you uh, will email your customers and let them know the the history or the background behind the fabrics that they're buying. How do you uh, curate essentially these stories? How are you able to to uh, find out information basically about the fabrics to to send out to your customers? Yeah, so we have a. I spend a lot of time connecting with the traveler that went to find fabric. So. Uh, we ask them a couple questions about their trip um, or about the fabric itself, if they had any, if the design meant anything to them or if they sort of saw it locally worn or displayed um, during their trip. So we, I have lots of conversations with these travelers. Um, and then, I mean, we get tons of awesome stories behind these fabrics um, that we would have never had. I had any idea just by looking at the fabric uh, that there was this whole story behind it. So they then tell me these stories and then Jack and I spend our time, I spend a lot of time sort of rewriting these stories. Um, I get a lot of pictures from the travelers as well. And then that's just what we, we pass that along to uh, our list of people that want to hear these stories. Yeah, I think that's important, right? Selling the story rather than selling the product. You want to sell basically all the history and all of the, um, the, the not just not just the, the product and all of the 
the, the different details of the product. You don't want to sell those things, but you want to sell what comes with it, the story and history behind each of your fabrics and each of the products that you guys create. Uh, now, you mentioned, I think, off, off air about essentially running this business remotely. I think you mentioned that you guys are in Ecuador right now and your manufacturing is in Virginia. Talk to us about that. Like, What is it like to, to run a business remotely? Well, you know, earlier we said we we designed the backpacks originally for the the students that that we were at the time. We were students, um, and we're kind of still doing the same thing. You know, we're encouraging people to travel the world and go off the beaten path, searching for local fabric, and so we're doing that too. You know, um, we're just really trying to live the lifestyle that we that we mm-hmm. preach, um, and we love doing it too. You know, I mean, it's it's more fun and it's more productive. What are what are some like challenges that that maybe you didn't foresee when you decided to 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 run the business remotely? I remember being so nervous to hand over all of the in person things like like shipping and fulfillment to mm-hmm. to other people. Yeah, that was really nerve wracking at first, but you know, after several months of it going smoothly, you just kind of stop worrying about that and. Um, I think honestly, it was kind of a, a healthy thing for us to step away from that and give that, put that job in the hands of people who are more capable of it than we are. They're better at it than we are, and it also frees our time to other things. Mm-hmm. Any recommendations uh, on ways to prepare before you decide to essentially uh, leave, you know, HQ or wherever your products are being manufactured and, and run the business remotely? I think you have to have someone back home that you have just an incredibly solid relationship with, someone who you trust entirely, someone who trusts you as well. You know, it has to be a two-way street. Um, our production supervisor in Virginia, we, I mean, we exchange probably a dozen emails each day about everything that's going on. So we're in very close contact, and um, we trust each other so much. I mean, you know, a lot of things can go unsaid now. We just kind of have a, a, a really smooth uh, understanding of what each each side is doing. So um, I don't think you can just pick up and leave, at least for us, we weren't able to just pick up and leave and have nobody back home. Um, but yeah, we just, we have someone who's better at the production side of things than we are. And we're better at the online side of things. So we have each, each group in their, in their right uh, area of expertise. Mm-hmm. How do you stay in touch with, with uh, people, especially if you're moving between time zones Like, how are you able to coordinate all of that? It's mostly via email, but um, yeah, you're right. I mean, we've been in Asia a lot of times, and that's like a you know ten or twelve hour time difference. So that that can slow things down for sure. You know, you send an email during your your work day, and then you get a response in the middle of the night, and then if you need to respond to that, it doesn't happen until the next work day. So um, it can really you know it might take a week to just get a few exchanges across, but we stayed up a lot at night or woke up early for for the things that need. And because we're working on something that we enjoy so much, it's not an inconvenience. You know, we, it's not a problem to stay up later, wake up, wake up early. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jack, Jack and Allie. Taluma Totes, which is at carryacountry.com. What's, uh, what's the story for the future? What do you guys want to work on or what do you want to focus on over the next year? Yeah, um, I mean, so as Jack mentioned earlier on, we're our biggest, I mean, we're spending a lot of time now sort of thinking about what's next and um, our most recent, one, one thing that we've loved most recently during our travels is just the, the connections with different people in different countries and sort of the small random interactions that happen when you're overseas and how meaningful they can be, um, after that trip. So we're look, we're looking to sort of help random small interactions with travelers overseas. Um, Jack, do you want to explain? I'm from Kentucky originally, so we always bring little bourbon bottles everywhere we travel <laughs> to give to give people as gifts. 
and we've loved doing that. It's, it just like creates a fun little interaction with people. Um, like my bike broke down in Thailand one time and I, uh, went into a little motorcycle repair shop and the guy was super friendly and fixed my bike for me for free. So I, I gave him a little bourbon bottle and it was just like a cool, special little moment. Um, so we're going to try to start doing something similar with, uh, we're going to make wristbands out of our leftover fabric from the backpacks and we'll send them out in packs of three for people who are traveling. They can take one wristband for themselves and two wristbands for people they meet along the way and just kind of try to create those little friendly human interactions. Mm -hmm. I love it. Awesome. Thank you again so much for your time, guys. Thank Thank you, you, Felix. Felix. Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. We had to craft the story correctly and and present it in a way where they didn't feel we were sort of revealing all their trade secrets or client base or anything else. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Also, for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com slash blog.